So many of you survived COVID. My wife and I have both had uh, COVID a couple times, and you know how a lot of people live in abject fear that they're going to pass from it, and I understand the cautions. I buried four very good friends in the last year who passed from COVID, and I don't make fun of that because uh, these are dear, dear folks. Shut your phone off. <laughs> if your phone goes off or your car goes off, you owe the pastor a pizza. That's the punishment. So, but um, anyway, the um, <laughs> while we have a little break here, let me tell you. You know, there's these three main vaccines they've developed, and they've been researching and researching, and they've been trying to come up with a solution for this and find a vaccine that actually works and all of that. Well, as it turns out, the laboratories ran out of rats. And they quit. They just said, hey, we are no longer going to use rats for experiments and they started using lawyers. <laughs> and they said there's three main reasons for it. Number one, the, there's a lot more of them than there were the rats. <laughs> and then secondly, the workers, the workers don't get as attached to them as they did the rats. And then thirdly, of course, there's some things you just can't get a rat to do. <laughs> that may not even be a true story. I was kidding about that. Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, right about in the very center of your Bible, Ecclesiastes. Now, most of you that are familiar with the Bible know that in the scriptures, <clears throat> The book of Ecclesiastes is kind of a peculiar book in that Solomon writes it, and basically the theme is, oh, the vanity of man. He gets successful and prideful, but the very next day he suffers loss or discouragement, and he thinks he's successful or popular, but boy, before long, the wind carries him away, and he's out of our life, and he kept saying over and over, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, kind of a fatalistic, wow, what a life, you know. And one generation makes money and the young ones, the next generation spends it up and wastes it. And a lot of things that are very true, but it's kind of discouraging if you just looked at the book of Ecclesiastes. But there are some very, very important truths in here. You know, um, it's not a Bible verse, but if you said, uh, hey, be kind to everybody, and eventually that'll come back to reward you. That's not a Bible quote, but it's a principle that's true. And in that same way, much of the book of Ecclesiastes has things that are just observable, provable truths. And I want to direct your attention to chapter 11, and this morning we looked at the context of 
several passages, four different books of the Bible. Tonight we're going to be just in this one spot, and uh, three Bible verses and a couple stories, and then we let you go to Dunkin' Donuts. And so, okay, I lied about that. They're closing. Um, <laughs> but Ecclesiastes 11, and make your way down to the last couple verses in that chapter, and I want you to read with me, just uh, you can stay seated and follow along. Verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And so what's peculiar about this passage is the word youth shows up four or five times in just three verses. It's the highest concentration in the whole Bible of the youth of the word youth. And I mentioned this morning, hey, it's a thick book, and a pastor's got to teach creation and prophecy. He's got to teach tithing and missions. He's got to teach prayer and how to raise your family. He's got to teach how to treat your husband or wife and tithing. And by the way, did I mention tithing? <laughs> and I'm saying it's a thick book. And a pastor, Paul had said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. It's a huge responsibility to give a right impression of God Almighty and be fair with the scriptures and help the people in every aspect of their life. It's a challenge. And no pastor feels like he does it 100%. When I was the pastor... I realized real early that young people, particularly between the ages of 15 and 25, can be the very most important people in the building. All of the old people, those that have been in the church for years, they are fossils and they helped pay for the chandeliers and they helped build the building and they drove the bus and taught the class and paid for the carpet. They're very concerned that everything they poured their heart and life and resources into is just going to evaporate. And it's very important to them that the next generation embrace and believe what they believe. Churches all across this country, I was in 39 states in the last three years, I'll be in four states in the next three weeks. Every place in this country, it's the same way. If you don't have young people, the church is slowly disintegrating. Because churches are leaky buckets. Somebody's always dying. Somebody's always moving away. Somebody's always mad. I heard the other day, and maybe it's true or maybe it's not, but that the people who don't go to church but just watch it on live stream, when they die, they don't get to go to heaven. They just get to watch it on television. I'm not sure. 
I, I don't, honestly, I, I'm not sure that's fact. <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty excited about you should be there. But anyway, <laughs> strike that from the tape. Um, but hear me, this centerpiece, when there are young people who will serve in the choir and help with junior church and who have strong personal convictions of separation from the world and have strong direction about what they want to do with their life, it's not just the old people. In the next 20 years, the largest distribution of wealth in the history of the world is going to take place right here in the world, in the United States, where all the baby boomers marching to the grave, they've the parents in the 40s and 50s and 60s said, I want something better for my kids. And everybody, hey, you'll be doctors, lawyers, and successful. And look, being a millionaire isn't all it used to be. And I'm saying, I'll bet you in this church, there's a half a dozen millionaires. You say, well, who? Look, a house is 300,000. And having two or 300,000 in, in a... IRA or in a retirement fund is very common for people now in our generation. And if you take any other resources that they may have, the worth of you know selling their kids or something, they the it's it's not hard. I I probably know personally five hundred, maybe a thousand millionaires. It's no big deal, and I'm saying that it's a lot smaller dollars than it used to be, but. They're going to decide what to do with their money. And most of them have one or two kids that are blowing dope up their nose or that want nothing to do with church or God. And here sits this Christian family in church, and they're wondering, what am I going to do with my resources? Hey, what am I going to do? And many of them will include their church if they believe the church is going to stay healthy. That's just the reality of it. I see it everywhere I go. Where there's a vibrant youth group, where there are happy, healthy young people, the church, it seems, if they need camp sponsors, the money shows up. If they need a new ping pong table or a youth center, the money shows up. If they're hiring youth staff to minister with the kids, the money shows up. If they believe the kids coming up stand for and believe what they believe. And it's more than that. It's not just the old people looking at them. It's the young people looking at them. You take an eight-year-old kid and a nine-year-old kid, and they tend to idolize those teenagers. They hear what they're listening to on their car radio when they pull into the parking lot. They see whether that kid is smiling or frowning. It's very, very important that we invest in the next generation of young people. But here... When I was youth pastor, 17 years, I recognized there were many times where the youth group was half of our church. When it went to 200 people, we had 100 teenagers in junior high. When it got to 300 people, there were 150 in the youth program. I'm not bragging or complaining. I'm saying I realized real young and early We've got to pour our hearts and lives into these young people. They need to know they're not excess baggage. They're important 
to us. So here in verse number nine, it says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. I was raised in a good family, but we weren't saved. But my father told us, hey, you guys, we had eight kids. Listen, I want you to be happy. He said over and over, I'd rather have you laugh than cry. He'd say, listen, this is the best time of your life. You got your driver's license. You can kind of come and go. You get to be with your friends. You get to play sports. You get to have all kinds of activities. You can do whatever you want, what you enjoy, what you're naturally bent towards. You can spend time with that. You have almost all adult-like privileges and almost no adult responsibilities. You never have bought a water heater. You don't wonder if there's food in the refrigerator. Not one time have you bought a set of tires. You don't say, hey, did we have insurance for that? You have all the good part, but you don't have all the responsible parts. My dad would say, there's a reason. Kids are grinning, adults are like this, and people in the rest home are like this. <laughs> right? And he'd say, look, enjoy this time. It's your turn. Buckle down and do your schoolwork, get your education and training, but hey, don't lose. So we had a blast as young people. I mentioned last night some of the things we did. I have a twin brother and a brother a year older than me, and we lived out in the country, and we had a great time on the farm, and one of the great, great memories I had, we were out hunting, we were 14, 15 years old, and we, you know, shoot crows, and we just, you know, you live on a farm. We, we have a 1,700-acre marsh adjacent to our farm. And so, hey, we, we got places to go, things to do. We didn't have much money, but we didn't even know that because nobody else had any money either. Right? I'm saying, right? None of your friends had, nobody was wondering if they had the latest Xbox. Right? You probably never did this, but when I was a kid in school, we actually did the tin can, poke a hole, run a long string. <laughs> we, honest to God, did. When you walk to a one-room school, uphill both ways, that's the truth, because there was a little bit of valley in between. <laughs> so, up, and then up. <laughs> but walking, stepping in the cow pies to keep her feet warm, you know. But, um, I, I'm just saying, I walked to a one-room school. And we had a blast, but we didn't have all the latest and greatest. And... Here it says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. There's something about not just having fun, but having a good attitude, having a heart and appreciation and a joy. And we just enjoyed life. When I had a, a cat, pet cat, and it was in the barn, we were doing chores, it was winter, cold outside, and the cow laid down and laid on my cat. 
fly to cat. I, I picked it up. I'm kind of inconsolable. And, you know, oh, it's my cat. That stupid cow laid down on it. And my dad says, well, the cat laid, laid down under the cow. Now hear me, I'm saying, here's, here's where we were raised. I'm crying, and my father said, Randy, every pet you ever have is going to die before you do unless you have an elephant and a sea turtle. <laughs> he said, you're going to have to get used to it. The dog is going to hit by the car, get hit by the car in the road, or your fish is going to be belly up in the tank, or you just got to get used to it. And then he said, if you want a pet that will never hurt you, keep this one. <laughs> you think about things differently on a farm. <laughs> My daughter comes home. Dad, I was at the farm, and the mama cat, she's, she's got new kittens up in the haymow, and she is out hunting, getting, she brought a mole from across the road in the clover field. I saw her in the silo room. She caught a mouse, and she, then she gets up by him, and they're climbing all over her, and she's nursing them, and then she hides them again in the, in the hole in the bales, and then she's out hunting, and I don't know when she ever rests. I just can't believe how hard that mama works. I've just never seen anything. I've been watching her for the last couple of days, and then she's, the only thing I've ever seen the tomcat do is breed the female and sit by the food dish. And my wife says, get used to it, honey. <laughs> and I'm saying, when you're on a farm, you learn stuff just way different. But we're out hunting, and we see something up in this nest way up in the trees. Now listen. We're out in the country, we're on our own property, and there's this tree. I know it's against the law to shoot into a nest. But we saw up in the top of this big nest, this white, hairy thing, and we thought, there's a possum up there getting those eggs. So we shot up in there to kill that possum. Well, the white disappears. I climb up the tree, get there, and there is no possum there's two little fuzzball, great-horned owls in there. Brand new born, no feathers, just fuzz. And my brother yells, well, Randy, you can't leave them there now that there's human scent up there. That mother's never going to come back, and those are just going to die. You might as well bring them down, and we'll raise them. So, probably you don't know a lot of people like this, but... I brought down two great horned owls and raised great horned owls and fed them with a little eyedropper, some milk. And I mean, I don't know what his mom, you know, she vomits in their mouth. I don't know how, what, what to do. But I raise them and they live and they grow like crazy. And they're fantastic creatures with those eyes near the front of their head. They can hear forever. And they're developing wings. And 
Boy, I put them out in a heifer barn. We have this heifer barn about the size of this building. And the heifers live down below. We got hay up there. And it's an enclosed area. I don't want to get them, them to get away. And I taught them how to fly. Well, no, that came natural to them. <laughs> but they would sit around up there on the bales. And if a cat caught a mouse and was just playing with it, because cats torture mice, and, and I would take the mouse away from the cat. Now, he thought he was being rescued, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'd put them out on the bale of hay. And these, now their wingspans, two and a half feet, and they're developing feathers. And a great horned owl has special little feathers at the back of their wings that dissipates any sound. They can fly perfectly silently. And they have these powerful claws. And boy, they would look, and that mouse would wiggle, and they'd look, and the mouse would wiggle. And all of a sudden, and he'd grab that mouse and he'd go over and he'd land on a perch over here on one foot and have a Snickers candy bar. <laughs> it was incredible. A pet owl. So this is fun. I would feed him when I didn't have a mouse or something. I'd take a, a we had a metal pie tin and I would put dog food in there and I would moisten it and so they would come down and they would clack their beaks and swivel their heads and look around and then they would eat dog food. But I would have them land in my arm. You've seen falconers and stuff like that. But I didn't have any leather sleeve. Uh, that owl, the one that was the tamest, he could reach entirely around my wrist. His claws would be touching on the bottom of my wrist. He never ever broke skin he would land there, but you could feel the muscle in that grip. My goodness, it's no wonder they can grab a rabbit or a raccoon or a small deer or a rooster. I'm telling you, they are ferocious. But he would clack his beak and look, and it got to where I would, before I gave him the food, I would just go, which is kind of like the cheap that they had. And so, how wonderful is this? I got great horned owls. They got to be friendly, so they can fly. Looks like they can hunt for themselves. I just open the door and let them live out in the woods. And how wonderful. They're nocturnal. Most of the daytime, they'd sleep. And then at night, they'd come. And if I put a food dish out, why, they would come. If I whistled, they would come. If I didn't put my arm out, the real, one, one kind of just went wild, but one stayed friendly, and he would just land on top of my head. And it's weird, I'm saying now he has a four and a half foot wingspan. And he weighs 22 pounds. And he would land on top of my head. Well, of course, the local Audubon Society heard about this. I didn't tell them. I stole them out of the nest. And the ornithology club heard it. Here's the yellow Cadillacs and these old ladies, all the bird watchers of the county come out. The newspapers, are, there's pictures of this owl on my arm. And Jungle Boy commands nature. 
wild owls come at his call. I mean, we got the clippings and all that. That's how I got my wife, actually. But um, I'm saying to you, it was one of the most wonderful seasons of life. I was young, my brothers. We played football and baseball and basketball and all that stuff, but having a pet owl, that's a little different than the average guy. And the funnest thing we had on our farm, because we had this big tanks of diesel fuel and gasoline, and we didn't want anybody stealing fuel from our farm, so we had a big dusk to dawn light, and each night it would come on and shine light so that nobody could steal gas from our place. But the fun thing to do that whole fall is if somebody came over that didn't know I had owls, I would go stand under that light with my back to the woods, and I would talk to them just like I was normal. But in the middle of the conversation, I'd go, now, that owl could be a half mile away, deep in the woods. But he'd heard that a thousand times. And I'm just sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, out of the woods. And of course, I wouldn't put my arm up. I'm just talking. Now, when you're standing under a dusk to dawn light, and a four-and-a-half-foot wingspan owl comes swooping down. It looks like a pterodactyl! <laughs> and they would scream and hit the ground! And of course, I'd just stand there, and the owl would come down and land on top of my head. And then he'd clack his beak and swivel his head. And the guy Randy, don't move. There's a... On your head, They're like like I didn't know. <laughs> he thinks I'm going to be carried away to. What was the name of the movie? You know, um, <laughs> Jurassic Park. And um, but I'm saying, we, look, it says, "Rejoice, O young man, in the youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of the youth, and walk in the sight of thine eyes, in the way of her heart." But then it says, "But know thou." that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. Let me say this to you, young person. You can have a good time without being sinful. You don't have to do wicked things. You don't have to do regrettable things. You don't have to do vile things. You can do a lot of wonderful things. I just can't tell you how much I believe young people should be happy and joyous and smiling and laughing. Uh, we were never permitted to disrespect life in any way. My dad said, hey, 98% of the men on death row for murder confessed to having tortured animals when they were children. You respect an animal. If you're going to kill it, kill it. I mean, we had to slaughter pigs and cows and deer and everything, but you don't ever, I mean, my dad caught us. We discovered if you take the electric fencer and you catch a big frog and you touch that electric fencer to the back of his head, he does backward somersaults for about 30 seconds. It's really fun to watch him jump sideways. 
My dad caught us doing that, I'm not kidding you, shucked our pants down and paddled us with a whole handle. Don't you ever, ever harm an animal. I mean, we already took care of the cows and the you know, horses and everything, but that just was not permitted. It didn't matter. I was shooting a snake, and I was using a BB gun, and I had shot it. It was still moving. I shot it. It was still moving. He came over and stomped on its head and said, don't you ever do that again. If you're going to kill it, kill it. You understand, we were raised. Well, so one day we had cousins come over, and they were from town. Now, I'm going to give you a secret. Farm kids believe town kids are stupid. <laughs> They've never delivered a calf. They don't know that two stages up inside a chicken, here's an egg that's starting to form, and here's one that's three-quarters formed, and here's one getting its shell. They never butchered a chicken. They don't know. They've never put rings in an Alice Chalmers tractor. They don't know nothing. They're just town kids. Now, the town kids, on the other hand, they think that farm kids are stupid. And it's true. Our one-room school, we didn't have a movie projector. We didn't have a whole set of encyclopedias. <laughs> right? They look at us like we're num-nums. Well, out comes our cousins. And my aunt and uncle are in the, t in the house having coffee with my mom and dad. Well, we started poking fun at them. Number one, the girl had braces. Now, now, today, it's a status symbol. Hey, my parents can afford an orthodontist. But in those days, that was, they were ashamed of it. And we called her railroad tracks and tinsel teeth and copper choppers and brace face and all, all the tin grin, you know, all the things. So she's crying. And the boy cousin, he's our age, but he was nerd, capital N-E-R-D, before that word was invented. And he had real thick Coke bottom bottle glasses. Now, obviously, we never went to a dentist. We never had braces. We didn't wear glasses, right? So we start calling him four eyes and all this stuff, and he cries, and they run in to their parents. Me, my twin, and the brother one year older. I, I, I remember it like it happened today. My dad steps out and says, you boys? Now listen. I didn't have to read the Bible to learn the fear of God. <laughs> you boys. He made us follow him up to the shed. There we had a milk can and all of the waste oil. Change oil in a tractor, change oil in a pickup truck. That waste oil went in there. He had a brush and that's what we used to lubricate the moldboard plows when we put them away in the fall so they wouldn't rust. That's what we used to put on the chains of the corn pickers so they didn't rust. On the gale chopper, we had waste oil. That's what that was for. My dad went up and got the brush and dipped it in that waste oil. 
and said, come with me. And boy, we walked over to the chicken yard. We had a chicken yard as big as this building, maybe a little bigger. Over a thousand white leghorn chickens. Big, pure white chickens. And we stood there. My dad opened the gate and took the leg catch and caught one of those chickens, held it upside down so the blood ran to its head and it quit struggling. And he took that brush and he put a black swatch on the top of that chicken's head. And then he released it back in the pen. And he said, you watch this. Now listen, that chicken went over there and chickens will pick bugs off from each other. And there was this black spot on this chicken and the one next to it, look, look, peck. Look, look, peck. Well, it didn't like it. It shook its head and it ran over to a different spot, but the chicken's there. Pick, pick, peck. Before long, the feathers are gone, the black spot is gone, but now it's bleeding. Bright red blood up there. And it flies into a corner, but the one's over there, pecked on it, and it went over here, and they pecked on it, and in 10 minutes' time, that chicken, I had no idea, but that chicken lay dead. When my dad caught it by the leg, I didn't know it was a death sentence. And then he looked at us boys and he said, listen, children can be cruel. Don't you ever pick on another person. He said, children will find some outstanding feature and they'll make fun of someone until that person's destroyed. We, we didn't have to go to a seminar about bullying, I promise you. It left an indelible imprint on our 10-year-old minds. Spin the clock ahead, I got saved. 18 years old. I go to church, 30 people, 40 people, one set of teeth in the congregation. <laughs> but we grew to 40 people and 50 people. And the pastor says, Randy, I want you to be the youth pastor. Okay, fine. And I'm the youth pastor, and I love the young people, and we flourish, and God blessed, and 17 couples got saved and got married and are still part of Wildwood Baptist Church today from 1971 and 72 because that's where they met, that's where they got saved, that's where they joined the church. And so, what a wonderful thing. And one day, a family comes to church, and these people are Scotch-Irish. Now listen, I have a white complexion, but these people had a white complexion. And then they both had bright orange hair. And they said, we'd like to talk to the youth pastor. So I sit down with them. Pastor King, we have a son who's failing out of school we're fearful for his welfare. He gets picked on at school all the time. He's slender. He's got real light complexion. He's got bright orange hair. And the kids have nicknamed him Matchstick. Now, let me just put a little disclaimer. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself a little bit. 
every one of us has some features, right? I can't grow a mustache because nothing grows in the shade. I got a schnoz from <laughs> a Polish mother. Right? But she said he's being picked on unmercifully, so much so that he feigns sickness every day. He won't get on the bus. When he gets off the bus, he runs off in the woods behind the school. If they force him to go to class, he talks to no one, secludes himself, hides in the bathroom during the break times, doesn't talk to anybody at lunch hour because they pick on him unmercifully. And if we come to this church and we bring our son, will you guarantee that your youth group won't make fun of him? Now listen, this is a big, big deal to me. I don't care what color of skin they have. And I don't care what background. All the skinny girls wish they were a little thicker. All the thicker girls wish they were a little thinner. All the tall ones think they should be shorter. All the short ones. Right? Everybody looks in the mirror and says, <laughs> but that's just the trick of the devil to make all of us dissatisfied with, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God made me like this. Is what it is. Well, I said, listen, if there's any place your son will be loved and respected and treated kindly, uh, accepted among the young people, and I said, it's here, I promise you. So they brought it. Now, I'm telling you, it take your breath away. This boy is as white, whiter than this, because this is cream. He is Casper the Friendly Ghost White. And he has the brightest orange hair. Makes these pews look black. I'm saying the brightest orange hair on any human that I've ever seen. And he is so skinny. He only had one stripe in his pajamas. He had to <laughs> run around in the rain to get wet. But I was proud of our young people. They welcomed him. They treated him kindly. We had short, wide people, and we had tall, skinny people, and we had all different backgrounds and cultures and Asians and Mexicans and blacks. And It didn't matter. At our place, it just didn't matter. And so he was happy there. But, of course, on Saturday youth activity and Sunday church, that's one thing, but he still has to go back to school on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But it's not just his frail frame. It's not just his bright hair. It's not just his white, white, white as that shirt, white skin. Some people have real thin lips. I have pretty thin lips. Other people have very thick, pouty, full lips. This boy had real full lips, kind of like some uh, black people, African Americans a lot of times have real th thick lips. This boy had real thick lips, and they were grape purple. This purple is that girl's sweater. I don't have any trouble believing that he gets picked on for his appearance at school. He's miserable, 14 years old or so, 
And the only respite he had, the only haven he had was at church and at the youth group. One day, I get a phone call. Pastor King, my son's in the hospital. Will you go visit him? Now hear me carefully. Look at this passage. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thy heart and the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Now, we didn't do wicked, vile, hurtful things. Probably the most dastardly thing we did in my youth was lift up the toilet seat and stretch saran wrap real tight across it and put the seat down and sit outside the door and listen to the noises the next person makes. <laughs> Not recommending that, but I'm saying we didn't harm people. The verse following, the last verse in chapter 11, therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and evil from thy flesh. Why? For childhood and youth are vanity. Hear me, young person. You're responsible for your attitude. Rejoice in your youth and remove sorrow from your heart. I'm so sick of the victim mentality. I'm so sick of the blame culture. I'm so sick of my friends all have Xboxes and I don't have an Xbox. I got the lousiest parents. <laughs> Get over yourself. You've got so much to be thankful for. You're such a spoiled brat. We all live so lavishly compared to the previous generations. I, look, you can see it. If you ever taught Sunday school, if you ever were a, a school teacher, if you ever in a class or a group of young people, you can find a rebel from 100 miles away. Any teacher, talk to any teacher. The second day of class, here sits a sullen and morose student, withdrawn, daring you to help him. Staring at the floor, won't look up, won't participate, won't sing, won't do nothing. And there's another kid in the back of the room. And these rebels have an antenna and they find each other by day three. I've done this my whole life. The Bible says, remove sorrow from your heart. Remove evil from your flesh. Young person, listen. You're responsible for your conduct, your attitude, and your response to things. Lots of people have had a bad shake in life. Lots of people have had some disadvantages. When I ran my bus route, I knocked doors, and here's a 13-year-old girl that answers the door buck naked. Sweetheart, go get some clothes on. I want to talk to your family and invite you to church. Out comes a 14, a 13, 11, and 9-year-old. Four stair-step girls. Broken home. Divorced mom. Mom owns, owns the local strip club. Those girls 
They can come on Sunday morning because the strip club is closed. But every night of the week, mom runs this den of filthiness and those little girls have to work because they're free labor. And they're in that tavern. They're seeing things they ought not to see. They're serving the liquor. They're getting pinched and prodded and poked. They're forced to go in the bathroom with the men. They're forced to clean up afterwards. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Every one of those girls got saved. Every one of those girls married. Every one of those girls is in church. Every one of those girls was a testimony to mom. And now mommy is sitting in church saved. And the bar's gone. When you say, oh, if you knew what happened to me, oh, shut up. Shut up. I know lots of people that have dark threads in the tapestry of their life. So what? Take your turns. My father lost his hand in a corn picker. My grandpa lost his hand in a corn binder or a thrashing machine. My mother died in front of me when I was 14. I have a son with a brain tumor, a daughter who was raped. Get in line. We all have it. Well, I'm mad at God because my parents died. Well, eventually they're going to die. If you want an excuse to fail, you're going to have it. You either get bitter or you get better. But here, the Bible says, young person, remove sorrow from your heart. Remove evil from your flesh. You don't have to find pleasure in marijuana. You don't have to drink yourself till you're an imbecile. You can have a good time without doing wicked, vile, regrettable things. Everybody learns the same thing eventually. God's right. The Bible's true. Eternity's long. They're all going to believe the same eventually. Just a matter whether they learn it from the scriptures or they learn it from the scars. But they're going to learn it. God's right here. Remove sorrow from your heart. This boy's in the hospital, and the mom says to me, Pastor, he's up in such and such a hospital on the fourth floor in the north wing. I know! I've been to that hospital. I know what that wing is. It's the locked wing. It's a psychiatric ward. It's the place where people who do harm to themselves or others are kept. It's the place where they seclude them when they first present for treatment and the psychologists and the psychiatrists that are meeting with them prohibit any visitors for the first two weeks till they balance the medication, until they assess and evaluate, and until they have some protocols for how they'll be treated. And they don't want competing voices in that ward. I understand that. And so I said to the mother, that's the psych ward. What is he doing there? Oh, Pastor King, he harmed himself. And the ambulance had to take him. 
Well, I'm so sick to my stomach. I know what he faced every day. I know how he was absolutely... He, he's mad at his parents for being Irish. He's mad because he has orange hair. He's mad because when he goes to school, they make fun of him. I, listen, when I visited him and they let me in the ward and I go down the hall and walk in his, in his room, he had taken a razor blade and cut his lips off. Can I tell you, the stitches did not improve his appearance. I was so mad. I'm, I'm, oh, this didn't have to happen. Two weeks later, released to the parents, and a week later, he's on the end of a rope in their garage, and Randy King has to do his funeral. Hear me? This didn't have to happen. This didn't have to happen. I sat there, I looked in that casket, and I thought, that chicken, that chicken, that chicken that I saw when I was 10 years old, this is what happens if you let bullying and picking and teasing run its full, it'll destroy somebody. I have zero, zero tolerance for people making fun of other people. Listen, respect, and appreciate, and help. You don't know what they're battling internally. Do your very best to encourage and support. Look, I, I promise you, when it says here, rejoice, young man, young lady, enjoy this time of life, and then remove sorrow from your heart. Remove evil from your flesh. It, you're responsible for you. You know as well as I do. If you want to sneak around behind your parents' back, you can get by with it. If you want to have secret meetings with people they wouldn't want you with, you can find a way to do it. You're responsible to mind your business. You're responsible to check your attitude. You're the one that's responsible for your heart. Uh, for me, people say to me, well, Brother King, are you always like this? Yes, I'm always like this. I was preaching a meeting in Alabama, and a lady after church says to my wife, is, is he like this at home too? And she says, yup, that's, that's the way he is. I'm a happy clam. I have a good time. I see humor in a lot of things. But I never tease about the Bible. I never make fun of another person. Oh, I'll talk about bald guys having marble tops, all that, but you don't put marble tops on cheap furniture. I mean, it's a sign of quality. <laughs> Hear me, young person, I just can't tell you how much. You're the centerpiece, you're the focus, you're the important aspect. For those of us who are old and for those that are young, you'd have no idea how important you are to us. We love you. We're for you. We want God's best for you. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. And 
walk in the sight of thine eyes and the ways of thine heart. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from your heart and evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. A lot of people, even in this room as adults, will tell you, I have a few minutes in my youth I wish never would have happened. I did some regrettable things that I wish had never been part of my life. Be careful. Watch. Take care of yourself. Mind your business. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. When the evil days come not, watch. While the evil days come not, nor the ears draw out nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You know you're getting old when the best part of your day is over when the alarm clock goes off. <laughs> oh, I dread the night. Oh, I dread the day. <laughs> oh, man, is it time to go to bed yet? Oh, is it time to get up yet? I can't sleep, but I can't stay awake, <laughs> right? Oh, man. It's getting old, ain't for wimps. <clears throat> the little girl comes to daddy, and she's eight years old, and she's sweet on a boy in her Sunday school class, and she says to daddy, Daddy, can, can I know true love? And the daddy says, well, certainly, honey. He said, I believe you love me, and I believe that's real. I believe you love your mommy, and I believe that's real. And then he wisely got out a little juice glass in a great big iced tea glass like this. And he went in the refrigerator and got a carafe of orange juice. And he poured the little glass full right to the brim, to the amiscus, you know, how it sticks over. And he did the same to the big glass. And he says, sweetheart, which one of these has real orange juice in it? And she said, well, they both do, Daddy. And he says, that's right. And your love is just as real at eight years old as my love is. But he said, at your age, you don't have the capacity to love in all the ways it'll take to meet the needs of a mate in marriage. You just have to grow up into that. Never disrespect a child. Never disrespect their emotion. Never disrespect their questions. People say, oh, my kid reached adolescence. Oh, they're junior high, and they asked the dreaded why question. I, I wasn't ready for this. And I, and I was just the opposite. I'm going, finally, you joined the human race. You actually have a brain. You can think for yourself. You can ask questions. I've been waiting for this. I've just been putting up with you till now. There's a reason why I do what I do. And it's a good reason, and I'm glad to tell you. Listen, don't despise their questions. Don't, and childhood and youth are vanities. Sometimes they get major brain fade, a, a major case of the stupids, and they, and they do something once in a while. That comes with youth. Remember now thy creator in the days of youth. Listen to me, young people. You don't have to wait until you're 40 years old to serve the Lord or be pleasing in God's sight or have influence on others. I've watched a lot of young people, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 
be the centerpiece of their family or their church because they chose to do right. They can, you can bring your parents infinite joy and happiness and they're proud to show your picture off or you can bring them untold grief where they don't even mention your name when they're talking to somebody else. You're responsible for that. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Did you notice? Rejoice, verse 9. Remove, verse 10. Remember, verse 1. Young man, dad died. He's 16. It's difficult times. He quits school, he works along the canal, pulling riverboats through up to the locks. That's his job. The sole support for mom and several kids. And times got worse and times got hard and eventually, 17 years old, the mom said, you're going to have to leave. I can't afford to feed everybody here. A lot of that happened in the Depression years. A lot of that happened at other times in our country. And the boy left and he hopped a freight and he went from the East Coast out to South Dakota. And there he got off the train and he walked up to a farmhouse and said, listen, my name is Jimmy and I'd like to work here through the summer, through the harvest. I'll be on my way after that, but... I'll do it just for room and board. But the farmer and his wife had a daughter about the same age as Jimmy. And the farmer said, listen, you're a bum. You're a tramp. You have no education. You have no money. And we're out here in a distant place, and I don't want my daughter to hook up with the likes of you. He said, you are destined for failure. You have no future. And I want better than that for my daughter. So he said, I'll tell you what you can do. You can take meals in the house if you don't speak at the table. You can sleep in the barn. I'll give you a bedroll. You can be up on the hayloft. But you will not be permitted to speak to my daughter. Jimmy worked all summer. Jimmy worked all fall. When the harvest time was done, the farmer gave him one dollar and sent him down the road. He didn't hear from him again. 25, 30 years later, a tornado came through, destroyed some of the farm buildings, and took most of the roof off the barn. And so they decided just to finish taking it apart and disassembling it. While they were taking the boards off, there on the edge of the loft, near to where the roof came down, he had written his full name on the board, carved it, and he was the President of the United States. And the farmer took the board in and showed his wife and said, can you believe that? The President of the United States worked here one summer, slept in our barn, He said, I want to go see him. 
He made an appointment. In those days, it was a lot easier to get access to the president. He made an appointment. He and his wife went in to see him and said, do you remember us? He had the board with him. And the president of the United States says, yes, I remember you. That was a very difficult time in my life. And he said, you were right when you said I didn't have an education. And you were right when you said I didn't have any means. And you were right when you said I came from a broken home. You were right. But he said, when you said a young man has no future, that's where you were wrong. All a young man has is his future. I can't tell you how much I believe what I'm preaching tonight. Young person, listen, we're for you. We want God's best for you. We want to see you happy. I'd rather hear you laugh than cry. There'll be plenty of time for you to be sorrowful, burdened, bewildered. While you're young, enjoy those years. Meet and marry right. What was it Socrates said? By all, by all means, young man, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll be happy. If you get a bad one, you'll be a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> Obey your parents. Honor your parents. Live a respectful, credible life. Marry right. Raise godly children. Be faithful to God Almighty. Don't, you don't have to get to end of life and have a thousand regrets and try to find some kind of confessional. You can look God in the face and say, the best I knew, I did my best to please you my whole life. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. I'd like heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. You've been very patient and I've tried to be thorough, but listen, young people, you're important to us. I want you to know, I'd like heads bowed and eyes closed, but everyone standing with me, please. Everyone standing all through the house. I'm preaching to young people, but I'm preaching to parents. Listen, this is so vital for you to know as you rear your children. Grandpa and Grandma, this is so vital for you to know as you deal with your grandchildren. And young person, hear me. I don't care if you're eight years old or 18 or 25. Put the Lord Jesus first in your life. That's a choice you make. Live a happy life. Remove sorrow from your life and remember thy creator. That's the recipe for a happy future, a successful life. I wonder who would say, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Pastor King, I need this instruction. God spoke into my heart tonight. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? God spoke into my heart tonight. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, you've seen the hearts. Bless our time now in Jesus' name.